Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Last Laugh. I'm Matt Wilstein from The Daily Beast, and this is a big one. Today, I am joined by one of my all-time favorite comedians and someone I've been wanting to get on this show for a long time, Patton Oswalt. Patton's new stand-up special premieres today on Netflix. It's called I Love Everything, which is about as far removed as possible from the title of his previous special, 2017's Annihilation. That major shift in tone reflects how far the comedian has come emotionally since losing his wife, the crime writer Michelle McNamara, just over four years ago. Last year, Patton turned 50. And in this clip from the new special, he breaks down where that puts him in the grand scheme of things. And if you were to fly a helicopter low over the earth, you know what you would see? You'd see people in their 20s gobbling drugs, eating delicious food, having sex. People in their 30s with actual jobs making the world run. People in their 40s, trying to fuck the (laughs) 20-year-olds. And then us, the gentle, surrendered 50-year-olds on our little futility ovals. (laughs) We've got our earbuds in, listening to podcasts, which are done by 20-year-olds that nobody wants to fuck. And then, on the podcasts, 30-year-olds are selling boner pills to the 40-year-olds. And then way off in the distance are 60-year-olds vaguely afraid of Muslims. And that's the world we live in. So don't fight that cycle, folks. That's just how it is. On today's episode, Patton and I chat about what his life has been like over these last few years and how he's coping during the shutdown without being able to get on stage and tell jokes. We also look back at just a few of the many highlights from his career, including his first ever acting gig on Seinfeld, his late night stand-up debut on Conan, and his legendary Star Wars filibuster on Parks and Rec. Before we get to our conversation, I've just got a quick request. If you are enjoying this show, please let us know by leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. If you have ideas for guests you want to hear on the show or questions you want me to ask comedians, they just might end up in a future episode. But now, here's me and Patton Oswalt. Okay, I'm recording. All right. And there we go. So, there you are. Um, How are you doing? How's your your quarantine life going? I think my quarantine is... uh... Uh, just like uh, pretty much everyone else's, you know, mm-hmm. trying to keep each day energized, I guess, as energized yeah. as it can be. But, you know, 
knowing with kind of a Groundhog Day setting, I guess. Mm -hmm. I see you shaved your 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 beard. Yeah, you had, yeah, you had a I good beard going. May first, it, it was just getting so itchy. I don't grow. I don't grow <laughs> nice, luxurious beards. I grow scratchy hillbilly beards, and, and they're no fun. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so how have you kind of been, been occupying your time? Have you been doing the whole homeschooling thing? Cause I know for, for parents, that's been a big part of this. Doing the homeschooling thing Monday through Friday and then Saturday and Sunday, we try to find like crafts and activities for them to do mm -hmm. and, um, them. Yeah. I have one daughter, <laughs> but it feels like a them sometimes. Um, she's gotten really obsessed with the American version of the office. So we're working oh. our way through that. That's a good activity. Some, yeah. Um, one of the parents at school formed a movie club. So every week they watch a new movie, then they discuss it, which mm -hmm. is really cool. So we've been doing the Truman Show and Groundhog Day. And so that's been really interesting. Did you tell her that you, uh, that you auditioned for, to be Dwight? I showed her the, uh, there's a YouTube video <laughs> of all of the other auditions. So I showed that to her yeah. and got a couple of dad points. But um, Rain Wilson is such a better Dwight. I'm so glad that you got that part. <laughs> Because, yeah. man, was he amazing. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I want to talk about your new special. Um, which yeah. do you, First of all, do you feel like this is a good time to, to be releasing a, a stand-up special because everyone's stuck at home with nothing else to do but, but watch <laughs> Netflix? Well, I mean, <laughs> I would like uh, it to be a good time to release a stand-up special because everyone's in a good mood and, mm -hmm. and I can add to the happiness. Yeah. True, but I'll true. take the, you know, um, it's, it, it's a good time release a stand-up special for very bad reasons and then mm -hmm. everyone is stressed out and um, stuck in their homes i wish that that wasn't why it was a good reason but you know there you go yeah i mean it, it is so funny how some of the, how stand-up material that was taped a few months ago can feel different now um you know just thinking about you know you, you the special uh, ends with this long bit about denny's and i was thinking there are people who would kill to go sit in the denny's and uh and just be in, be in a restaurant, any restaurant right now. I would kill to go sit in a Denny's right now. I would, <laughs> I mean, a lot of my writing got done in um, <clears throat> restaurants. I would just go and, you know, order a mm -hmm. cup of decaf and a sandwich and just sit and write and with the, the sounds. That's, wow, somebody should, I, I wonder if there's like a, uh, a music track you can download and put in a loop of like cafe sounds or restaurant sounds around yeah. you. Like while you write, <laughs> that'll be, because I do a lot of writing and reading to, thunderstorm sounds i remember mm -hmm. i went and saw that um it was a thing at lacma guillermo del toro's um like art exhibit of all of his collected arts oh yeah apparently has a room in his house that he rigs up that it, it's raining all the time like <laughs> he has this thing on the window where it's like it simulates rain hitting the window and he has like thunderstorm sounds and it's lit like there's a thunderstorm and that's yeah, where all of his that's writing. amazing yeah so i do that with just i have a little thing on my ipad i mean my ipod that i downloaded like a thunderstorm mm, and I just yeah. played on a loop while I'm reading. You got to find cafe it. noises. Cafe noises. Yes. Starbucks yeah. noises. Annoying Starbucks patrons. Or maybe we could just get a bunch of people together on Zoom drinking coffee and kind of, <laughs> uh, that would be you know. great. <laughs> I could simulate it. Yeah. Um, so, so your special is called I Love Everything, which is quite a big turnaround from your previous special, which was called Annihilation. Yeah. Um, so that that was a. Does that reflect your mood, or does that uh, the, the title um, kind of? Yeah, I think it reflects just that kind of resurging of the life force after being in so much darkness, and then mm -hmm. you know being back in the light that way that you, you really appreciate the good things in a much more better way. You're like a 
you know, a man who was dying of thirst that gets a sip of water and it's the most luxurious, delicious water he's ever had. So mm -hmm. that's kind of how life felt to me after coming out of all that. Yeah, I mean, I, I've heard you say that you, after you taped your previous special, you really just stopped doing that material altogether. And obviously a lot of it was about um, the death yeah. of your wife. Um, so does that make it even harder to kind of build up this new hour where you're there's no kind of transition from one to the next? It's just like a hard break? Well, I mean, every time I, I finish a special and once it airs, I'm done with that material. You can't do that mm -hmm. material again. So it's yeah. always been that way. It's always been a hard break of, okay, that stuff is done. Although... Yeah, I didn't really tour on that material. Once I did the special, I didn't mm -hmm. want to ever do that material again. So yeah. there was a bit of a time off when I had to work up a new hour. Um, but yeah, I never, once a special's out, you can't ever do that material again. Mm -hmm. So then what is, so in this case, what was the, what was the process like for you of, of developing the new hour? Was it any, did it feel any different than, than previous ones? I, I just had to do a lot more um, smaller open mics and a lot more writing on, you know, weeknights and chunks and stuff like that in order to do it. And then, mm -hmm. you know, once I got um, up to close to the new hour, I started going back out on the road again and doing theaters and building it up to that hour. Yeah. Um, of course, that's something that you can't do now. Are you? How much are you missing the ability to, to get up and do stand-up now? I'm missing it so terribly. I can't. I, I wish that I had the discipline or I wish that I wish that it was it. I wish that my process was sitting at a table and writing jokes, but that's not mm -hmm. how it works for me. It works yeah. for me getting up on stage. Some comedians can sit and write. Some can't. Um, I'm one of those that has to be up on a stage. So it's been a little rough. Mm -hmm. Have there been anything that you've tried to do? I know a lot of people have been doing these like live streams, um, you know, or Instagram lives and things to no. kind of get that I mean, get I a think sense of that better, experience. I think that's better for like musicians and stuff. For comedians, mm. I, I need the crowd there. And I just think it looks weird. Um, it just doesn't work if you're there doing it just into mm. a camera with where you can't hear anybody. It just feels yeah. strange. Yeah. It's not um, the same thing. Yeah. I was, uh, I was kind of shocked to hear you say in, in the special, uh, that you turned 50 last year, just because I, I kind of think of you as, you know, a, a young, uh, alt comic and that was your identity <laughs> for so long. Um, so it is kind of, kind of odd to, to have you arrive at this place, um, for us fans. Yeah. Um, is that, uh, you know, I was thinking about, I had Maria Bamford on the show, um, a few months ago. And we talked a lot about the comedians of comedy, which is just one of my all-time, you know, favorite things. Oh, and, thanks, man! Um, and really Im impacted, you know, my appreciation of stand-up and and love for for comedy. Um, and she said you were really the the driving force behind that uh, tour and that film. Mm -hmm. um, so, what do you when you think about that time um, in your in your life? What do you how do you think about that? Because uh, it really was just like a she described it as kind of like just a week that became, yeah. you know, this thing that has lasted on so much. Yeah, it was very much like a, um, uh, it came out of a lot of frustration. I was getting a lot of attention because of being on King of Queens, and I mm -hmm. suddenly was getting headlining gigs because of it. But the people that were coming out to see me were like, well, we love, we enjoy this 8 p.m. family show, and it was mm -hmm. a great show to be on. But I'm like, if I don't take control over who, how I present myself and finding my audience. I can't just be lazy and, and just coast on being on a TV show because my comedy is different than what, you know, is on the show. Those are, they're two different things. They're two mm -hmm. 
totally valid, funny things, but I can't just expect to go, well, I'm on TV, I'm just going to get headlining gigs. So I started figuring out that the audience that I needed was in smaller clubs, music clubs, alt, mm-hmm. scene, alt music scene clubs. Um, I did a gig at a part of a celebration, um, multi-day celebration at the 40 Watt in Athens. And mm-hmm. the gig was, it just, it was like this, such a revelation of like, oh, this is the audience I want to pursue. So I really started putting together you know, smaller music venues uh, with some friends. The first one was just me and Zach went out um, as a pair, and then mm. I decided to turn it into a bigger tour with uh, added Maria and Brian. It was also, it, it was it was out of frustration for my career, and it was also my frustration as a comedy fan because at the time I didn't think that um, Brian Posehn and Maria Bamford and Zach were being showcased correctly and in the right venue so to be able to bring them all together on the tour really meant a lot you know to to be able to kind of go this is who you guys should be into these people you know like mm-hmm. i'm if if you like what i'm doing you should really be into these guys because they're amazing so you know it just felt really good to be able to do that you know to two levels for selfishly for myself and then also as a fan for my friends yeah, I, I found it so fascinating to I rewatched the film not too long ago and to see um, you know, fans coming up to Brian Posehn from, you know, knowing him from Just Shoot Me and just like yeah. ig- ignoring Zach Galifianakis who was who nobody knew who he was yet. And now he's, you know, gone on to, to such yeah. an insane career. Yeah, um, it was amazing too to see audiences not really know about Maria Bamford and not really mm-hmm. be on her wavelength. And then by the end of the tour, like the word was just out and people totally got what she was doing and how brilliant she was and still is. And it just, it was amazing to see that, to see people go, oh, wow, we get to discover this genuinely, genuinely different voice in comedy that is incomparable to anything else out there. So I got to see you uh, perform some of the material that's in the special um, at that uh, event at Largo uh, for Gary Gullman. Um, yes, his special, and that that was such a such a fascinating. How event, great was that special? Um, yeah, the special was was amazing, <sighs> and then it was it was so fun to see you and and Maria and Judd and him all there um, at at Largo and yeah. kind of have that conversation about mental health and comedy and and all of that. Um, how have how have you kind of been thinking about that, especially now? Um, you know, where everyone's kind of struggling and going through this hard time in terms of how comedy, you know, can sort of how you can use your, your comedy to, to work through some of that stuff um, in terms of, you know, how you're feeling. I mean, you know, one thing you can do, especially on social media, if you have a big following is you can just be in in a very, do it in a fun way. um, Mm -hmm. But, but acknowledge that, yeah, there's some days when the depression hits really, really hard because now we don't have those circadian rhythm signals like we used to of sun and light and darkness and time and dates there's you know people are like i don't even know what day it is right now and that's kind of a you know people's i see that people's sleep schedules are getting really really messed with and a um an erratic sleep schedule is a shortcut to you know mental illness so that Mm -hmm. can really affect people so but but what can help them out of it is seeing and hearing other people going yeah let me tell you what i'm going through it's like or yeah, me too. Same thing. I know exactly mm-hmm. what you're talking about. That really, really helps. So you know, trying to do it in a in a kind of a winking, funny 
almost shoulder shrug way of like, oh God, yeah, I absolutely know what you're talking about. And also just, I think having a network of people, like there's people that I know that have, I, that I know that are struggling with mental illness, that I've helped them and they've helped me. And so we check in on each other. Like the first thing you do is actually, you, I didn't do it early on in the shutdown. I didn't know mm-hmm. how long the shutdown was going to take. So I'm like, well, I'm not going to call them on day two and go, are you okay? Like put that <laughs> into their heads that they should yeah. be. But then after like a week and a half, I started checking in. I'm like, hey, um, this looks like it might be longer than we all thought. So I wanted to make sure you're doing okay. And you can, you know, and you know, you have like, I have Zoom hangouts with friends. We just mm-hmm. schedule like, oh, I got to go do this thing. So, you know, we'll like, we'll all watch the same movie and then we'll get together and talk about that, and which is, is beyond helpful. All my little movie nerd friends mm-hmm. like me, having them to argue about stuff is great. <laughs> You know? Um, yeah, I, I can see from your, from your social media too, that you are very, uh, you know, tapped into the news and to, um, the, you know, the response to the, the crisis well, from we, Trump we and all, all that are stuff. because it's, it is so absolutely affecting us, you know, mm-hmm. and, and it's, it's very, very frustrating when you see people like, um, people's economic and job frustration being weaponized to mm-hmm. benefit the rich, you know, it's when, I understand, obviously you sympathize with people that are out there going, you know, reopen businesses and stuff because they have to go work, but they're being that, those kind of protests are being astroturfed by wealthy people to get those people back working for them. And they're the Mm. ones being put at risk. So it's a little, it's kind of the height of evil when you see the, um, uh, the Fox and Friends people who are all coming in remote mm. studios and safe from each other going we need to end this social distancing don't you think and it's like, <laughs> yeah. why don't you guys do it first that like you're you're seeing them throwing bodies onto the barbed wire to benefit themselves and it yeah feels and of course they're all recording recording their shows from home <laughs> exactly they're all recording their shows from home so it's just and and by the way i don't they should be recording their shows right. from home. they should be keeping safe but don't be doing that and then telling other people hey get out there Mm. You know, you guys get like, you're safe in the bunker and guys get out there. Come on, America first. I I wanted to ask you about another uh, piece of your special where you do briefly talk about Trump and you kind of say that, you know, it's almost futile to make jokes about him because he is, because it's like you can't heighten it any more than it's already there. It was like the, um, the I was, I was on the roast of Flavor Flav. Mm. And Jeff Ross went up and said, how do you shame a guy? How do you shame a crackhead who wears a Viking helmet? <laughs> like, what is, the, what is her function here even at this point? Yeah. And um, that, it's the same thing of like, how do, you, how do you parody a parody? How do you parody a, someone who's a, who's a bad comedian trying to get jokes and, and get attention and shit like that? You know, mm-hmm. it doesn't really make, it, after a while, you're like, the, the the insanity and stupidity of his daily existence and our daily letting it happen is gonna is going to steamroller anything you're gonna come up with as a joke. And mm-hmm. it's also amazing how so many like when I posted the the um, poster for the special and then later this week I'm gonna post the trailer, there's always a swarm of MAGA people on Instagram mm-hmm. and Twitter going oh, this is just going to be Trump bashing. There's no way I'm watching this. Like, these are the same people that are like, you know, uh, facts don't care about your feelings and you snowflake uh, libtards. But mm-hmm. if there's even the 
possibility that there's this, this single nudging of their mm-hmm. bloated idol. They're like, I'm, I don't even want to see this. I don't even want to look <laughs> at that. You know, so yeah. that that kind of that again. How do you make fun of that? Like they, they're already being the the Christopher Guest movie characters mm-hmm. that you like. I can't top this. I can't top yeah. this. I can't top this desperation and this fear on the part of these so-called alpha males yeah. that are out there, you know. That's what I always think about um, SNL and the way they, you know, cover Trump is that it's it's often, and they've done this with him, but it's not just Trump, but they did it with Sarah Palin too. They were kind of just repeating word for word what yes. these people say, and there's yeah. not that much heightening to it. So it's it's not even really, it's just kind of like recreating it for people. Yeah, it, I think at the height of the... Um, uh, right during the once we got into the Iraq War, there was a play that was put on. Um, I think Dakin Matthews was in it and stuff, but it was a it was just reading the transcripts of the lead up to the Iraq War and how all that mm, they didn't change yep. anything and it mm-hmm. was hilarious. The reasoning and the insanity was like a it's like something Terry Southern would write, except it was the transcripts. Yeah, yeah. that's how crazy things were. So you know, yeah. I, how do you how do we uh, satirize the, the transcript of our reality right now? Yeah, there's a lot of people trying, you know, every night on late night TV. And, God you know, bless them. Of- <laughs> you know, but I mean, the people that are really doing it are the ones that are actually leaning even further into the absurdities. I, I was curious what you thought about Trump's um, use of uh, of sarcasm recently. Um, his, uh, that's, his, uh... <laughs> that, that is, a again, that is every... Um, idiot that you've ever worked a shitty office job with who thinks that he or she is funny and they're not. And the people who, it's always the people who aren't funny who insist that they are and yeah. they'll say something horrible and then everyone in the office is, is pissed off and like, why? It's like, I, I, was, I was being sarcastic or I, I was punking you. It's just that desperate someone who's never been funny trying to make themselves seem awesome after the fact. <laughs> and, but, and, and also like the... So hang on, your explanation for telling Americans to perhaps ingest bleach or disinfectant <laughs> was that you were being sarcastic. So let's rewind that. At the height of a pandemic, when we were approaching 70,000 deaths, your plan was to go out and be sarcastic and uh, snarky about the whole thing. Either way, it's hard. Like there's yeah. no, it, just, it's, it, it, it goes back to, it's the uh, Homer Simpson. I thought... The cop was a prostitute. Like, <laughs> I just explained it. You're like, oh my God, you made it 10 times worse. Coming up, Patton explains why he wanted to include a bit about the Me Too movement in his special that is hard not to view as a direct comment on Louis C.K. And later, he looks back at his first ever acting gig as a video store clerk on Seinfeld. Did you know that the Daily Beast recently launched a crossword puzzle? It's made to let news junkies like you flex your mental muscles with clues based on what's happening in politics and pop culture. Head on over to thedailybeast.com slash crossword puzzles to play now. It's a great way to pass the time and it's free. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact 
you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. One other piece of your special to go back to that that I wanted to touch on is the the Me Too bit, which is uh, I thought one of the funniest and sort of most interesting takes on on oh, the Me Too movement that I've heard you. in stand up. Um, which there have been a few, but not I would say not too many yet. Mm-hmm. Um, why was that something that you that you wanted to to tackle in the in the special? Because it is something that. Um, I think it's it's very very much in the atmosphere, and it is something that, as a comedian, it it, it feels a little weird not to address it because it's a huge cultural shift that's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for I think for the better, but I was also trying to bring in the stuff that, like, I was trying to embrace. There's going to be a lot of really dumb, well-meaning male takes on this. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not as fascinated um, with the. Um, the people that are the enemies of progress. I always love the people who think that they're allies, but they fumble it. Yeah. Um, like that was that whole thing I did two specials ago about the people that get all angry about people using the wrong language. Mm-hmm. And I was like pointing out, well, but a lot of times it's the, 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 the shitty people actually learn the correct language very quickly so they can sneak their evil stuff in. <laughs> but you're getting so hung up on a guy going, it doesn't matter if a, if a guy's a tranny and wants to, why did you say tranny? No, no, mm-hmm. he's, he's like, so, Yeah, yeah. I, I, but I just, I, I like the, because there's been a lot of times when I have been who I thought was being an ally and I fumbled it. Mm-hmm. And that to me is, I, I'm, I'm never, what's, what's funny to me is not people being mean to each other. What's funny to me is people trying to be well-meaning and trying to be nice and fumbling it. Mm-hmm. That to me is always so much more fun. So yeah. I kind of wanted to embrace that with the, the whole Me Too thing. There's porn for everything. So was there porn for this? And I just missed it? Like, was there porn for jerking off to the unwilling all these years? And it just was off my radar. Like, were there 900 numbers where it's like, our hottest operators are just trying to get to the copier machine. <laughs> Ooh, but you're blocking the hallway, aren't you, stud? <laughs> Call 1-900-JUST-FINISH-ALREADY. A big part of what you're talking about is, uh, you know, men who masturbate in front of women uh, against their will. And I think that it's easy to view that as a, as a comment on Louis C.K., who that's, you know, what he did and is but, known for did you but did, was that I, on your mind when you were when you were doing it or no because when i again and i don't i don't know why this didn't get more attention 
um, I don't know why he became the poster boy for it because mm -hmm. I was reading a lot of these articles in Me Too, and it was a lot of guy. It wasn't just mm -hmm. like Louis yeah. and Weinstein. It was so many people. It was like why I I, I honestly I, I felt so I felt like an Amish person coming out at like rum springa going i did not know this was a thing <laughs> and i thought i was a pretty deep perv and i had never heard yeah. of that as like a, a thing mm -hmm. that was a turn on and it was dozens of reports landed on that very specific mm -hmm. thing yeah which really confused me i just did not know and, and also you know so i i wanted to talk about it in more of a bigger sense because mm -hmm. that was the thing that i thought that got that was kind of um, uh, kind of looked out, kind of overlooked in all the mm -hmm. reports about this is that there were why I why is that such a kink among men? Is mm -hmm. that something that needs to be looked at a little more? I don't know. Yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um. So uh, this is a, a hard pivot, but I I wanted to touch on um the HBO documentary series that just got announced mm -hmm. yesterday. Um, I believe was we're talking. Um, yeah. Uh, based on uh, I'll Be Gone in the Dark, yeah. um, which uh, I guess you you are involved in um, creating that that yeah. series, and and so how did that kind of come to be, and and what can you share about it? Um, it came about kind of the same way that you know finishing the book came about. I you know went to people and said, hey, I think this needs to get. Done. I mean, with with the book, I went to Billy Jensen and Paul Haynes and went, please, please help me finish this book. I don't know what to do. You know, I don't know how to do this. And they really stepped up. And then with the series, Liz Garbus, who is probably one of the best documentarians working today, came to me. And, and to her credit, I didn't see how it could be a series. And then the way mm -hmm. that she mapped it out and the way that she has structured it. I mean, I've watched the rough cuts, the episodes. And it's astounding that it's, yes, it's her, it's Michelle's story, but it's also the story of the case the story of the killer, and then most importantly, the story of the victims, which mm -hmm. really, really kind of, you know, I've met a few of the survivors at like book readings, and it, it's just the most humbling experience to to meet people and see them, you know, so vital and alive and present and in the world and going to the trial every day and just looking at Joseph D'Angelo and, mm -hmm. and he won't return their gaze, which they go makes us feel so good to see him reduced to mm. this just hunched over guy that can't look around you know just get to see that kind of resilience and endurance kind of really quiets you a little bit mm -hmm. i saw uh, you were interviewed a lot obviously right after the arrest mm -hmm. of um the man who's known as the golden state killer mm -hmm. and you at the time expressed interest in meeting with him and i was curious if that's something that you still want to do yeah. have you done or is that something that you that you're I thinking mean, about what, what i said though i didn't express interest in meeting him what i expressed interest in was at getting to ask him the questions that mm. Michelle never got to ask. So yeah. it wouldn't be me meeting him going, you're going to talk to me. It just I, All I'd be doing is I'd be transmitting the messages from Michelle and the questions from Michelle mm -hmm. and to see either what his answers are or, as I've seen from talking to the survivors and the victims' families, watching him just unable to even look at me or, or answer the questions or want to like leave the room which I, mm -hmm. I suspect would actually happen. Yeah. I, it, and it, it will be, so it's not that I want to meet him. That's, that's a very 
egotistical and wrong thing to for me to ever want. It should be the mm-hmm. victims that should be allowed to sit down with him. It should be the investigators, you know, or it should be the journalists that worked on the case. But all I'd be doing is transmitting information. It would mm-hmm. it would have nothing to do with me. Yeah. I know there are issues around the the death penalty with his case um, that they're kind of appealing that, for yeah. the for the um, for you know a deal that would give him life as opposed to the death penalty. Do you, do you have thoughts on that, or where, where well, do you where do you fall on that? On, I've been thinking about this for a, a while. Obviously, you want you know there's there's a part of you that's like, well, he killed people, he should be killed. Mm-hmm. But if you're looking for closure. And Michelle was very anti-closure, the idea of closure. She thought that was a myth that actually ended up doing people more harm than good because they would go, oh, he just was put to death, and I, but I still feel horrible. Mm-hmm. I think you shouldn't think in terms of death being the ultimate penalty. You should find out for these people, for these killers, for these you know, criminals, what do they value the most? Figure out what that is, and then take that away from them. Mm-hmm. Um, so, because because what he took from these women was decades of peace of mind, took away a normal life, took away a chance to exist in the world, totally under their own agency and under their own power. He took that away for seconds of pleasure, mm. and and took it away because of vengeance. So, if he most values being alive, then absolutely he should be put to death. But are there other things he values more and can those be taken away? Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it's why, you know, some people that are like, um, I remember there was an investigator that talked about, you know, um, Richard Speck who died in prison and was never given the death penalty and murdered eight nurses. It was really horrible. But there, that footage came out of him like doing coke and he had like fake breasts and it was just... And, and the investigator was like, well, but look what he had been reduced to. He was a guy who wanted to overpower women. And now he's basically being passed around this prison as like a plaything mm. at other people's commands, like in a weird way that maybe that was a, a punishment even more fitting than death for someone like him who had, who wanted to wreak that kind of pain and vengeance in the world. Like yeah. maybe find out what these people value the most and take that away. Yeah, the death penalty is not always the ultimate. For uh, some of them, I don't think death, they don't care. That, mm-hmm. that, wouldn't, that wouldn't create the kind of terror that losing, you know, what, freedom or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, like, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, that's kind of how I, and yes, part of that is I'm rationalizing stuff. But, you know, maybe that gets you closer to closure. Mm-hmm. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, yeah. Um, so before we kind of start to wrap God, up here, sorry, we went I, to such a we, dark we went, place. Yeah, that was my dark. God. So we're going to, we're going to lighten it up if that's okay. Oh. Um, uh, so what we, what we do, um, towards the end of the show is kind of go through some of the credits in your career that we didn't get to talk about and see if there's a story <laughs> or, or memory that pops to mind. Um, and, uh, so okay. we'll, we'll do that. Um, so I wanted to start with what was really your, your acting debut as the video clerk on Seinfeld. Um, oh yeah, quite a long time ago. Um, how did that happen? And, and what do you remember about shooting that, that scene? I remember a couple things. It happened because I went in and I auditioned. And the reason that I got the audition, Larry David told me this years later was because when they're reading, when they were reading, um, George's lines to me, Jason Alexander's lines, mm-hmm. being a pest, 
I did a th- I, I think I guess I did it subconsciously for my years of working retail. Mm-hmm. I started looking around for a, another employee to pass him to. Like I was subtly, <laughs> which is what you do in retail. Like when someone's yeah. doing a pro, and Larry really laughed at that. He's like, "Oh God, that's exactly what you do." You're like, "Can I <laughs> pass this guy off?" <laughs> um, and uh, and I uh, the thing I remember most because I love Jason Alexander so much was right before we it's my first scene ever and I'm so nervous and right before we shot it Jason's at the counter he just goes uh, it's not too late to be fired Pat and then we <laughs> and action which made me so happy like because it just it That's just killed great. all the tension and it was great yeah. I'd like to rent breakfast at Tiffany's uh this is out someone has it out oh no I've I've been to four other places you're the only ones that have had it well I can put it on reserve for you if you'd like Maybe we could call them and ask them to return it. Oh, sorry. We can't do that. Well, maybe they're done with it. I, I, I could go pick it up. I don't think so. It doesn't work that way. I wanted to ask about your, your late night stand-up debut, which I believe was on Conan. But you can tell me if I'm wrong. Yeah, my late night debut was on Conan O'Brien. Yes, that was. on, on For talk shows, yes, my... First ever one was on Conan O'Brien. Yeah, that's right. And so what do you remember about that uh, I remember experience? that I got it after four auditions. I had to audition for that show four times. The very first audition that I ever did for Conan, they were in L.A. They came to L.A. They were auditioning much people. They put me up on Latino Comedy Night at the Laugh Factory. Oh, perfect. Carlos Mencia brought me up. It was all Latino comics. Gr- amazing crowd, but he, he his intro to me was... All right, this next comedian's a white boy. Now give him a chance. Give him a chance. <laughs> and I went up and just ate it so hard, rightfully so. Oof. And then luckily they let me go to New York and do other stuff. But it took a while, you know. Mm-hmm. But then um, it just really clicked. And Frank Smiley and um, uh, the uh, Paula, and I'm blanking on her last name, but they're the two talent pokers, and they're so good at working with stand-ups. And I'm so glad that, you know, Conan is still a show that likes to showcase young stand-up comedians and young voices. And that, I think, is so crucial. Yeah. Um, You mentioned King of Queens, which was obviously a big uh, thing for you at the time. Um, And I think the the moment, your your King of Queens moment that gets the most attention in retrospect is when you stood still for a a whole scene. Um, which, um, the, the, the writers on that show were such weirdos. They were all stoners and they <laughs> would slip. There's all kinds of weird hidden things. Really? The, 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 the name Yuspa keeps getting said a lot. Um, <laughs> Hey Eddie is a weird thing that keeps getting said. Um, uh, and so they would just do like, let's just do weird stuff. So I think one of them was like, Hey, you don't have any lines in the scene. Just, just stand stock still and see if it yeah. goes through. It just did it. It was so weird. <laughs> and it's kind of nobody seems to, or people maybe noticed at the time, but it got kind of rediscovered on uh, on Reddit yeah. years years it later. It was really fun. It was just they were always doing stuff like that on that show, you know. <laughs> so we're talking just a few days after the uh, Parks and Recreation reunion uh, special, which was oh. which was a lot of fun. Um, and you obviously have a very famous moment on that show as well, <laughs> the the Star Wars uh, filibuster. Mm-hmm. Um, so, what do you uh, when you think back at, at that experience? What do you what what stands out to you? Uh, terror, because <laughs> I was so excited to be on the show, and I was such a fan of that show. Still am. Mm-hmm. That's that's one of the best sitcoms ever been on TV. That that was like a free Tom McCarthy short film every week. That's how mm-hmm. good that show was, yeah. in my opinion. And 
to get asked to be on it, I was so like, I don't want to get, I don't want to fuck up. I don't want to be unfunny on this show. So when they had me do that scene, I was just supposed to start, you know, uh, filibustering for like 10 seconds. They were going to cut away. That was going to be the joke. Because, oh, God, mm-hmm. it's going to filibuster. And they just didn't yell. They go, just let's not yell cut and see what happens. And I just kept going because I was like, they haven't yelled cut. I don't want to fuck the scene up. <laughs> and it turned into this, this trivia dump of mm-hmm. everything that was in my head at the time. Article 7, Section 3 allows for a citizen filibuster. If I stand here and refuse to yield my time, you are prohibited from voting on the bill. <clears throat> Let the filibustering begin. As many of you have noted uh, that use the internet, it has been announced that Disney has required the rights to the Star Wars franchise, and in the summer of 2015, we will see the release of Star Wars uh, Episode Seven. Herewith is my proposal for the plot of that movie. And while we're on Star Wars, uh, we're also talking just after they announced the uh, the that Taika Waititi is going to be um, going to be directing yes. a Star Wars movie. I know you're a big fan of his and Jojo yes. Rabbit and you're pumping your fist right now. People can't see that, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> what are you, what are you, are you, are you excited for, uh, for that? I could not be more excited. I just rewatched um, what we do in the shadows. Cause I was going to mm. rewatch the TV series and he's just, he's such an amazing director. He has so much like, and, and they're doing the right thing with all these Star Wars films, giving them to really interesting cool directors just like after george did star wars he's like okay let's give empire to Irving kirstner let's give um uh revenge return to Marcon. let's give it mm-hmm. to these really just solid um uh pros that know how to and then can bring cool touches to it and so yeah i could not be could not be more excited to see it any any predictions or, or what you would want to see from a taika waititi no star that's wars what film? i love you there's nothing to predict <laughs> i i don't want i I thought the Last Jedi was fantastic. I don't mm-hmm. know. I don't understand all the hate for it. He did everything you don't expect. He went every new weird direction, which is the same thing that made Empire so much fun. Like, oh, whoa! I oh, okay. Um, and everyone's like, no, you're supposed to do this and this <laughs> and this. I why why would you want a movie to meet your expectations? Don't you want it? to surprise you and startle you? Why are you paying money to see something that's going to give you what you flatly stated you want? Mm-hmm. It's just, exactly. Uh, <laughs> parrot back I'm what I, I'm going to say this thing now, parrot it back to me, here's $20. Yeah, that's what people I want. I don't get it. <laughs> well, hopefully there will be movies again and uh, and they can yes. and they can make it. That's. Uh, I hope so. Yeah, I like that they're announcing it, but it's like, well, I don't know. It's going to happen sometime. And I, but and also, I don't know what it's going to be about. I don't know what he's going to do, and I want to keep it that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, exactly. You should not, as a fan, go, oh, yeah, make this thing, and, and please, here's my checklist. I expect these boxes <laughs> to be checked off. <laughs> Shut up. Um, we end every episode by asking uh, comedians, who is a another comedian who has made you laugh the hardest in your life? It could be someone you saw on stage or someone who you know, just you know, hanging out with them. So, who's someone who who comes to mind that that really that really has made you laugh over the years? Um, the one who keeps consistently making me laugh is Todd Glass. Hmm. Um, you know, David Cross once said, "He was like, God, Todd Glass makes you laugh so hard you think you're going to throw up." 
<laughs> and I've just seen him do stuff I can't even describe. I mean, his bits are hilarious, but then he'll do these things where he wants every show to be its own event. So he'll just, the way he messes with the audience, with the other comedians, with the, it's just so, uh, just a, such a piss take on everything. And it makes me laugh. And just in person, he's amazing. He, yeah. um, I went to dinner with him and my manager, Dave Rath, like this is a few months after Michelle passed away. So mm-hmm. we meet at this restaurant. Todd Glass has this sealed envelope, like a letter. Mm-hmm. Goes, you don't have to read this now. You can if you want to, but I wrote this to you. I know you're going through a really hard time. Maybe this will help. If you want to, you can open it now. Like, there's no <laughs> I open it up. It's like a torn off piece of like yellow legal paper, like this big. And it said, <laughs> I patent. Like, in his mind, that was going to make things much better. It made me laugh. And it just so brought uh, me out of the funk, like, oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Just like, Nothing he can, but it was just also his way of going. Well, nothing I can do is going to help. Yeah. So I'm going to do the dumbest thing possible. That's so great, and I love then that. which ended up helping immensely. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> He's great. Um, this was so much fun. Thank you so much for for talking with me, dude. Thanks, man. Yeah, awesome. All right. Good well, luck. Have a great day, and I, I will. I have the Dropbox link. I'll send you guys. Yeah. Quick time perfect. On Thank you. That's amazing. Thanks, and dude. And we'll, uh, we'll post the podcast when the, the same day the special goes up. So it'll be wow, synergy, you. you know? I can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> Take it easy. All right. Okay, Talk bye. to you later. Bye. Thank you so much to Patton Oswalt for being my guest on today's show. Starting today, you can stream his brand new stand-up special, I Love Everything, on Netflix. And look out for the new documentary series, I'll Be Gone in the Dark, coming to HBO on June 28th. If you like this show, please tell your friends and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. You can find me on Twitter at Matt Wilstein and at thedailybeast.com. And if you're not already, please follow at LastLaughPod on Instagram. The Last Laugh is distributed by Acast for The Daily Beast, with audio production by Red Rock Music. Our theme music is by Claude, you can find on Instagram at claude.mp3. You can find this show every week on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. And as always, you can find show notes and highlights from each episode on thedailybeast.com. See you next week. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.